up only. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, Hello and welcome to Up Only TV. I'm Ledger, here with Kobe and our special guest in just a second. Before we get to it, I want to let you know all about Blockfolio. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. Trade today on Blockfolio with zero fees. You can swap directly from one asset to the other. It is a seamless and delightful trading experience on mobile. You even get a free coin with every trade. And of course, Blockfolio has all of the portfolio tracking features you've loved ever since 2014. It's been around for a long time. It's a great product. Now with trading, fully powered by FTX Books, thanks to Blockfolio. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. Kobe, hello. Hello, mate. How are you? How you getting on? I'm doing well. Not too bad. Not too bad. Paolo, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Kobe. Thank you for having me. Good day for you. You have your uh, attestation or whatever it's called. How are you feeling? (laughs) Well, I'm feeling really good, you know. Um, (laughs) It's been a pretty exciting moment for us. So I'm, I just appreciate all the work that the entire team uh, did to achieve this 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 amazing result finally. Bitfinex is yeah, in mean, disbelief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I often think back over the last sort of eight years that I've been doing crypto stuff and go, wow, it's been really crazy. But then when I reflect on it a little bit more deeply, I'm like, hmm, I sat in my bedroom for uh, most of it and stared at charts. Whereas you've had like, a really weird decade. <laughs> You've had uh, a really, really bizarre time, uh, I imagine. Um, I'd love to start off by, like, I guess reminiscing on the old days a little bit, but I'd love to know what um, you see as, like, the, the the biggest change in in crypto from back when you started. I don't know when that was, 1999, and, uh, and, and to today. Well, I... I started uh, reading Bitcoin white paper in 2013, but it was the end of 2014 that uh, I, I was approached by Giancarlo, that is uh, Bitcoin X and Tether CFO. Um, he was interested in having my consultancy to, to, to fix some issues of uh, Bitcoin X trading engine platform scalability. So, yeah, it started at the end of 2014 as... Um, as a contractor, was working part time. I had my portfolio, cloud portfolio management system company in uh, in um, in London, and then you know I got sucked in. In uh, at the end of 2015, I was doing much more for for Bitfinex than than my own company, and then uh, started doing a bit more in 2016. Things were going really well. Um, the the matching engine was starting to perform well. The APIs were pretty cool. Or, um, uh, great advancements, and then of course the hack happened, and then I I was asked to become the CTO there, um, and. Uh, that was quite a, an interesting week uh, for me because uh, you know the entire platform to be brought from one one infrastructure to another. But you know, team made wonders, and we we were back up uh, after seven days. We were start trading again, and we were back top first uh, top one volume. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that was the first really big slap that we got and uh, that I, I got myself in, in my life, I would say. And uh, it was a really interesting teaching moment. And um, you know, back in time, I felt, especially when I joined 2014, I think that um, my, my first impression of exchanges was, okay, these are basically e-commerces that are hiding, uh, uh, that are basically calling themselves trading platforms, but uh, most of the websites or most of the trading platforms were really e commerce like like PHP uh, uh, style, uh, style of things that were, you know, serving few few hundreds you know, requests uh, per second across uh, all the user base was, was, they were really slow. So, I mean, now the, the situation is much better. I mean, we are seeing a big uh, technological push on centralized exchanges and of course all, all the development in in all the different blockchains are really pushing for you know they are setting really high the bar um i believe that you know the biggest change probably is yet to come and uh, you know i started in the wild west uh, and uh, regulations are catching up yeah yeah i imagine that was would have been the, the biggest uh biggest change like running exchange back then to running exchange now um, must be super super different i do want to ask a little bit about the hack i don't even remember how much was uh how much was hacked at the time 119,000 bitcoin <laughs> uh, around 72 million dollars at the time 72 don't make the calculation right now yeah <laughs> uh, i'm really tempted yeah. to know what it is now <laughs> it might yeah be nervous. i, I I don't want to think about it. And maybe this is a like um, uh, kind of like the lost pawn theme, but like, what do you do on the day when you realize like what happens? Like must for the team, it must be mortifying, but like what happens in like, do you go straight into like damage control? Yes. First of all uh, is um, assessing what, what, what the hell happened. And, you know, the first, I would say 10 minutes are, uh, Frustration are, I mean, you, you, you feel really bad. You feel terrible and you keep feeling terrible for you know, almost perpetuity, right? Because the loss is big. Um, they are not your fans, right? So the first thing that you say, you think about is you, you let down your, your own customers. That, that's pretty, pretty annoying. That's pretty sad. So, but you know, then you, you start thinking, okay, how, uh, I have to do something, you know, crying uh, on myself doesn't, doesn't change anything here. So um, first, uh, so um, Giancarlo, Phil, uh, and Stu at that time, um, Phil was uh, still with us at the time. They were, they were starting working on the, 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 the financial recovery and the plan for, for getting back um, up to speed on the financial side and uh, I had the task of, uh, you know, finding, investigating the issue, um, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, to, to fix it and uh, start from, you know, start, move the entire platform from the data center where we were uh, to AWS, just, uh, you know, uh, within one week in order to, to get back up and running. We thought, okay, if we, um, I think that the, um, uh, Giancarlo Fields to came up with this um, BFX tokens were really an amazing piece of history. Uh, I believe uh, that that uh, that showed how a company like us could recover uh, in good faith uh, from that type of issue. And uh, the first 
after we started, we are seeing our volumes growing and growing. The first month, no, the, the, the idea of the BFX tokens was, was pretty simple, right? You can, we were always redeeming those at $1. So, you know, there, were, there was a market. You could buy those on the market. Uh, the moment the market started, they crashed to 20 cents, but you could always buy back. At, uh, we were always, as a company, buying back them at $1. But of course, no one was believing that we would make it. Then after the first month, uh, we, have, we were back top one volume and revenues were start piling in. So we started buying back in the first chunk. And then people start realizing that we, there, there was a really tiny chance. Then the second month, um, we were burn, uh, buying back more and more. And then we, we introduced some of the, the possibility to convert the BFX tokens into Bitfinex shares. And... Um, uh, a lot of users, well, at the beginning, uh, not many, but the, the months were passing. We were making more money. We were buying back more tokens. And eventually in seven months, uh, I would say two, if I don't, I could recall it um, not correctly, but two thirds were converted in equity and one third was bought back from the, from the market. So, um, so yeah, something like that. And it was crazy because in seven months we were, Back, you know, we were clearly the top one exchange. We were run, we were running really. Our operation increased by you know ten times, and um, we we were able to pay back one dollar for one dollar that we lost. So um, I think that was a, a really interesting moment. Let's put it in that way. Do you think if things like this happen today to uh, you know an exchange that was as would be as new now as you were back then? Do you think it's a survivable uh, event in today's landscape? Well, I, I think that um, it's probably is much more complicated. I believe that uh, um, the 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 size of the operations of exchanges grew 10, 100 times. So it's much harder to, uh, but there are m many more eyes. I believe uh, there are many more people involved with code reviews and so on, right? So um, that's the thing that I, I pushed for when I became CTO. So we started forming, I started forming a group of, of, of developers. I was uh, uh, in control of the entire security. So I started um, um, shrinking the accesses, uh, removing all, well, using, you know, hardware keys and things like that. So uh, that's, that's now something that is pretty common. But, you know, back then, uh, sure, uh, there were the, the knowledge among uh, the, um, who was running exchanges was not as, as good as today, I would say. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that makes sense. It's evident in that uh, a lot of the um, large losses, like back in the back in the day, it would be uh, an exchange goes down, like Gox, and then there was Crypto Rush and Coined Up, and like all these exchanges, that, like one would just randomly disappear one day. I think MintPal was quite a big one that disappeared, and it seems like all those exploits and all those money where it just goes missing, you wake up and twenty millions gone missing. That's all just moved into smart contract risk now, <laughs> or a, or a, 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 a developer uh, rug pulling. When you were talking about the matching engine working well, I remembered. Uh, trading on Crypto Rush, and I had this really big altcoin position, and it was the only exchange that it was traded on. Uh, and I went to, I did what the logical thing, what any good trader would do, and I wanted to market dump. 
So, you, you know, you do the thing, you look in the order book, you click an order really far down the book, and then you click sell. And this exchange <laughs> had no matching engine at all, so it just sold everything to this one guy and left the remainder of the book there. There was no magic. I was like, what? I just... I like broke even because I like sold it all to some other dude. So it, I was start, so... it started your order at like the max slippage that you were willing to tolerate, basically. Yeah, yeah. I just sold it all yeah, into yeah. that bottom order. There was no matching engine. That's awesome. That was that was what it was like back in the day. I hated that exchange. Um, but I, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, like Bitfinex's tech and um, at least why I still use uh, Bitfinex today as my well, sort of primary exchange. Kobe, before we get to that, there's a like you guys are too OG and you know stuff that the audience doesn't know. And I was too noob for still, but like when y'all did the redemption tokens and we're doing these like exchange tokens and some of that stuff that people think of exchange tokens is pretty common and typical now, but like how, what was the landscape for exchange tokens and um, the kind of structures that y'all put in for like mitigating a hack? And like, was there any precedent for that at all? Not that I know. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I don't think or I don't recall any other changes ever did that. So, you know, as Tether, this was, I believe, a, a really awesome creation of, uh, of our finance team um, and the strategy team. So, yeah, I think that they're now that definitely are common, especially in 2017 with all the ICOs and new exchanges that were popping up. Many, many of them were raising money through through ICOs and through their uh, their their tokens. But into that in August 2016, there I believe that weren't. Yeah. Okay. Now you can get on with the uh, the Bitfinex shill. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, the the show's called Up Only, and uh, Bitfinex is literally Up Only. I, I want to I want to give you an opportunity to chat a bit about what changes you've made because I, I guess this experience won't be um, unfamiliar to many people uh, viewing that you know use uh, whatever exchange they trade on. But the, a lot of time in the peak moment when you want to be trading the most, the exchange is down. It's just not there. It's like sorry, we're currently offline. Like what do you mean you're offline? It's an all time high. This is the like this is the, I need to be taking a position now. Or it's like it's like dumping like crazy. And it's like, yeah, exchange is actually going to go down for 20 minutes now. Um, the main reason I still use um, Bitfinex after all these years is because I never have the experience on Bitfinex. The, the exchange is there. It's still working no matter what uh, is um, is happening in the market, no matter how many other exchanges are down. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like how you've achieved that and uh, how, how that's important to you? So, well, I'm... Um... You know, I, I started coding when I was eight, right? And my, I'm really annoying with coding. Uh, I, I really spend all my awesome, all my youth in, in doing that. And uh, till today, as a CTO, I spend most of my time in coding. And you know, I really when I build something, and this is what I tell all to I tell to all our developers is that you have to be prepared to resist to the wrath of God, right? It's whatever happens, you you know, I don't want to see things that, you know, they resist or they, they are able to handle what we are expecting today because it really does not make any sense. Um, I, we, I believe that uh, we have seen clearly in 2017 that exchanges were not ready. And uh, we had like three years to be ready, and <laughs> and uh, some somehow some exchanges are yet uh, a bit, I, I would say, didn't perfection their technology. So um, the way we design our matching engine, first of all, 
as I said before, I think that most of the changes back in 2013, 14, and 15 were like e-commerce is uh, masked by, by trading venues. And then uh, in, when, when I joined Bitfinex, the matching engine was doing like 50 orders per second. That is really terrible. If you think about those tools and, and one of the first uh, exchanges that was doing margin trading, it, it's, it's quite bad, right? Because then if you have a liquidation, you have to liquidate. So you have you know, an order position that you want to liquidate. You have to, you, you, you put it through the order book and then that might trigger stops. That might trigger other liquidation and so on. So you have to be extremely fast, right? So 50 orders per second are really useless for, from a, an exchange point of view. So um, instead of uh, trying to replace um, at the matching engine with something that we could um, rent or buy on the shelves. I decided to, you know, I, I promised to to the management at that time to start improving it uh, piece by piece. So we start. Uh, I started, you know, changing the data structures behind the, the matching engine. So instead of uh, doing. Uh, a really terrible thing that a lot of developers use that is, uh, you know, an array that for, imagine that you have bid and ask, you have like a list and they keep, you. The, the common thing is, okay, every time I get an order, I will keep sorting it. So that is completely inefficient because, you know, you lose a lot of time and keep sorting, um, sorting your list. So the clear thing to do is using structures like AVL trees or red black trees that are, that has a, uh, that uh, that are uh, are basically sorted trees. So in, in that way, you can you know you in, um, in you, you can reach out to, to you can have a sorted uh, bid and ask a tree in uh, in matter of, uh, in, of of microseconds, if you will. So if you test ten to end to end the binary tree in order to keep adding or removing orders, you can easily get to one million orders per second to three, four, five. Uh, depending on the, on the programming language used. So basically, I started swapping pieces of uh, of the matching engine uh, and eating more and more in performance. And you know, after one month, we were you know 150 orders per second, then 1,000, 5,000. Now are we are several millions per second because the way our matching engine is uh, is is made is sharded, right? You can you you can uh, run multiple pairs on one single on 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 multiple CPUs, well, let's say that you had 300 pairs, you had 100, 100 cores, you can basically shard you know, three pairs per, per CPU. And it's pretty cool. It allows you to exploit the, all the beefy machines that you can find today. And then also message queues are, are of course, one of the most critical things. You know, you, a lot of exchanges, at least in 2017, they were still using MySQL as their source of data for, for the order books. And it's pretty bad, right? Because MySQL or any general databases had uh, locks, so you you keep uh, you you keep trying to keep hammering them as much as you uh, as fast as you can, but they cannot cope. And eventually, they you, they, you will get in a you know either, either a deadlock or anyway there is a, you know they are they need to flash on, on disk. So you, you have to really engineer something that is properly custom made for being a matching engine. So that is the thing that I brought in, in Bitfinex. And the other cool thing is that when I joined, the 
I recall the order book, um, you know, there was updating every five seconds, right? It was not WebSocket based. So you would, could see, you know, you had to wait five seconds in order to see the order book. It was, was, was like crazy. I was, I was looking at it and saying, okay, that's after the matching engine, that's the next thing that we have to change. So uh, that we introduced WebSockets and now our platform is, and one of the reasons why our platform is extremely stable during windy days is that is, um, that is WebSocket first. So you get, you know, you can send orders, um, you receive trades, position updates. Uh, you can do everything, almost everything by WebSocket first. So you don't have rest um, requests, keep opening the socket with the receiving server. So every time you, you put pressure, you have a handshake with the receiving server. So if you have 1 million or if you, it's really hard to handle 1 million orders per second if you have, to handle those by REST requests, because that means that for every one of those, you have to do multiple actions. You have to establish a connection, do an handshake and so on, right? And then close the connection. WebSocket is always open. You can you can slurp as many orders uh, per second as you want, basically. So, do you think anyone in uh, in chat followed? Do you think anyone in chat knows why Bitfinex is? <laughs> uh, let's have a look. Uh, yeah, they all said no. Uh, <laughs> just what y'all need to know is that it's uh, a lot of code. They're smart, and uh, it's a scalability difference, right? So, I think one of the things I wanted to ask along these lines is not to mention any of your competitors, but they're Bitmex, and like every time they added a pair, it was like the whole thing melted because it completely. <laughs> added like an exponential component in terms of like calculating available margin and like what you know what's what's there so the only way to really reduce the load was reducing the number of pairs because they didn't have to match it against yet another thing like how do y'all scale cross pair especially in terms of calculating margin and like keeping um you know people's accounts in order so that's a really good question so there are so uh, BitMEX started using um, uh, KDB, uh, if I'm not wrong, as their matching engine and data uh, integrity system. So um, in that way, they what they do every time there is a trade, they could they basically recalculate the risk factors for all the different users for all the different accounts, right? So uh, that is a really um, Good way to do it, but is of course extremely inefficient uh, because uh, adds, as you said, a, um, a big amount of complexity. So, Bitfinex started as a margin trading platform. So our leverage was three, uh, and now is maximum ten x on on BTCUSD. So, it, of course, is that is. Um, Let's, let's do a step back. The reason why they had to do it is because you, they were offering 100x, right? So 100x means that if the market moves 0.5%, you get liquidated. Now, the, the, that's a really big risk, right? So if you, if you have only 0.5% mar, uh, margin, then it means that you know, if you don't do things properly and if you don't liquidate early or in exactly at the, the moment, you lose money as a trading venue. And that's really a bad thing. Now, um, Bitfinex never had to do that because uh, we were allowing 3x, 3.3x in margin. So the, maintenance, the, the minimum required margin for an open, maintaining an open position was 15%. So much more time to liquidate a user. So, so we could be much faster than Bitmax just because of that. Now we launched perps, right? So the first, in order, just because of that reason, in order to be 
um, extremely cautious, we started with isolated margin. So you, you have actually to allocate um, margin to, uh, and an amount of USDT uh, as collateral to a position. So you can exactly know the, the liquidation point without any risk, right? So we don't do any cross margin there. Uh, because I wasn't really happy or satisfied about the speed of our liquidation engine at 100x. And now we, with the new version of the matching engine, and finally redid all the math, um, redid all, uh, improved the scalability by tenfold. And now we can offer full cross margin. You can, you know, uh, as you know, I tweeted that you can use uh, sheeps, horses, and uh, you know, mushrooms, leo, lions, and leos, and BTC, whatever you want, as collateral in your position. Uh, should be uh, live by mid May. And generosity um, for everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there, there will be still be isolated margin mode. So you can still, you know, be cautious and, and, uh, and uh, take less risk. But uh, I believe that so the way it works is that is kind of probabilistic. So what, what I call in, in the system is that I build a probabilistic tree of, uh, of, uh, of, for, for the liquidation. So I can, I always, every tick, I, I just have to, um, sorry, every time there is a, a move above a certain uh, percent I, uh, I, or a certain, yeah, a certain ratio, I just have to check the first few of the tree and see if, uh, any, if they, I have to liquidate them and so on. So I basically try to reduce the amount of um, operations that I have to do in order to recheck everyone. So I don't want to recheck everyone because maybe you have you know, 10, 10 million users and that is that 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 would cause problems. You cannot really go fast at that scale. But instead, if you say you have to look only the top one hundred because they have the worst risk um, ratio, then it's much faster. You can handle almost any amount of of, of liquidation. Of course, then um, even if we have to recheck everything, given the fact that our matching engine is parallelized and is is sharded. We can still cope with even if we have to, you know, liquidate many more people, or you know, uh, there is a big market spike. So I think that you know, it's just a matter of being comfortable and you know, coding things well. And I just didn't want to throw it out there uh, yet. And but now we are we are getting ready. Good Sorry for like the uh, I like how you described that of you liquidating them as though you did it personally. Like this user, <laughs> yeah, let's liquidate that one. <laughs> so, Kobe, which which user is that? The, uh, well, yeah, liquidate him. Fuck it. <laughs> the Czar of Rugistan said, "Where can I buy these web sockets?" Paulo was talking about. <laughs> I like to in chat the or web sockets in, 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 in chat, they briefly turned them into web socks, which is the original <laughs> version of uni socks. Um, <laughs> On the on the on the like you know expansion of leverage and the um, increase in multiples of leverage available, do you think um, the reason Bitfinex's like liquidation volume has been much lower than um, other exchanges is because you've been conservative with the amount of uh, margin you offer to people um, until recently, or do you think you just have better traders? <laughs> Well, I believe both, right? So we have, so for, first of all, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, our, if you can see, if you look at our open interest versus volume, I mean, you know, our open interest is uh, around uh, 1 billion probably as of today, and uh, volume is not really high. Um, so, I mean, we are probably the, the, the exchange with, um, uh, with the best ratio in that sense. 
So that, that extremely helps. So if we, of course, liquidations also count margin, but margin have, of course, a, a lower, uh, lower max leverage. Also, I believe that uh, um, the fact that that um, curves are still in isolated isolated margin only uh, really helps as well. So it's a multiple factors that that makes us a, a safer location. And uh, also, if you look at the the order books, um, the BTC USD order book um, that is part of our index is extremely extremely uh, liquid. So it's it's probably two three times more liquid than than the average or the top tier competitor. So that is another factor that that is extremely helpful. We by by history we have a lot of whales. We have been focusing on professional traders. So uh, we have some uh, users that have and companies that have massive accounts with us. So then they provide liquidity um, in an extremely professional way and in, in, with big sizes. So at the risk of, uh, <clears throat> you know, showing off Kobe's orders, uh, I pulled up on the stream. There's a website called Tensor Charts, and it'll actually show like where orders exist at certain levels. And Honestly, I really like using Bitfinex as kind of the smart big money because you see like, oh, well, here's somebody with like giga orders at 50K. We are just not going to go below 50K. And I think that's been one of the things that I see the most on Bitfinex is it's not necessarily that you've got every pleb like me with a $1,000 order like here or there, but it's like when somebody's coming in with seven and eight figures, you'll frequently see that those orders in cash, like not just on, you know, 20x perps, uh, but in cash or low margin on, on Bitfinex. The um, Bit- Bitcoin Wisdom version of this chart is very beautiful. So you can get the same chart only for Bitfinex on BitcoinWisdom.io. And it looks like you're looking into space in case, you know, <laughs> in case you've taken some substances you- and just wanted to watch a chart. Kobe, Kobe, the chat <laughs> wants to know, as a resident Bitfinex whale, does it feel good to like put an order in and then see yourself like on these charts where it's just like this solid yellow line of support. Mm, I don't ever, I honestly don't ever use that, um, that chart ever, um, except like sometimes when I'm feeling a bit wavy and it looks pretty and I like go, whoa, that looks cool. (laughs) I only really discovered how it worked not too long ago when, um, someone was showing me it and I was like, like this is the ultimate psyops chart. Like this is just several people with a lot of money psyopsing each other out. Like I'm going to put it there and I'm going to pull it. Um, so uh, uh, I, I imagine. So sometimes you see a chart though, and you can you have a look at them and you see a line that was just left and it never got there. It's like this huge chunk line as it keeps going. It never goes near it. Uh, they never got filled. So maybe they're sad. Um, but. Uh, yeah, the Bitcoin Wisdom Dio version is much prettier than the one you just had. Looks like looking into space. Okay, well, sorry um, to Tensor Charts for Kobe blasting your UI. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. Did they did they pay you to shill tens- Tensor Charts on the? On no, the street? it's just one of the first ones I saw that did this. You can use whatever you want. Don't use Tensor Charts. Tensor Charts freaking sucks. <laughs> um, Paolo, and how has Bitfinex's approach to like non-Bitcoin? Uh, cryptocurrencies evolved over time. I think there was a, a legendary quote from Phil once about um, having, having to have something, a particular coin listed. Uh, how has that evolved over time and how has um, having like a, a token ecosystem made it easier, I guess? Yeah, I feel really should sell t-shirts with that, with that sentence. <laughs> yes. 
So um, I think that, uh, you know, we, uh, of course, um, altcoins made our uh, fortune for as many other exchanges, um, uh, as many for many other exchanges, right? So, you know, you start from Bitcoin only, but um, uh, I'm, well, I'm for, let's say unfortunately, but also um, as you would expect with diversity, more people will come, they, will, they can find more things to trade. So they want more and more things on the shelves, and that that's perfectly fine, right? So, um, you know, I I I, call, I consider myself uh, a Bitcoiner um, in 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 deep, but also is important to understand, you know, when when people approach me and say, "Well, wh- why you list uh, so many things?" and said, "Well, you know, it's important that I have a I need to wear different hats." And, uh, you know, I wear the Bitfinex hat, the Tether hat, and Bitcoiner hat, right? So when I have to, uh, yeah, of course, I mean, uh, it's like the, um, the, the, um, I was called the the crazy hat uh, hat maker uh, in uh, Alice in Wonderland. But uh, yeah, (laughs) no, it's it's really an an interesting uh, challenge, right? Because, um, you see things you you sometimes there are things that you like more you like less and so you have to find your own balance but ultimately it's important to remain true to the people that uh, that help you to get there um to in into this position you have to be, remain true to your shareholders um in um in Bitfinex and uh, i believe that is if the market wants more pairs more more tokens that um, that is fine and uh, what I like about my position, for example, as uh, you know, as a Bitcoiner, is that I can actually use um, the, the uh, part of the profits that the companies make in uh, in uh, in trading all the kind of products to you know reinvest in Bitcoin, Lightning Network, and so on. So you know, I feel good in, in, in the end of the day, and uh, I believe that uh, people should be free to trade whatever they want. Uh, with, of course, limits, but uh, it, it, I believe that the people have the right to choose. So you are not a mooncat collector? No, no. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, uh, uh, I, I usually trade, I usually buy only Bitcoin. For myself, I, I buy just Bitcoin. So I'd love to chat a bit about, so you, you know, you got into crypto in 2013 and had this, um, Crazy experience with Bitfinex and Tether, um, sort of since then, uh, becoming CTO of both. And uh, you've now mentioned that you, you know, you just buy Bitcoin. Um, you keep a portfolio of um, uh, uh, of Bitcoin. Have you um, branched out and done much else in the ecosystem? Has it always been this way? Like, keep it simple, keep it focused on these things. Do you do personal investments in uh, in stuff? So really, we uh, I like to do um, investments with the companies I'm part of. Um, so I believe that uh, um, my for, for my role, I I really cannot uh, dedicate as much as a real investor would would need to dedicate to a project, right? So. I'm I'm not prepared and ready to do to become a, a VC personally, and I believe that I can obtain much more much better results if uh, we invest as companies and, and groups, right? So uh, we invest in Bitrefill. Uh, oh, we invested in uh, in uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no one heard it anyway. No one heard it, right? We can just, just scrub that from the scrub that from the street. <laughs> 
and uh, we invest in Celsius and so on. So, well, I probably get will get slapped really hard after this. this uh, <laughs> you no, know, it's part of my job. I, I mean, <laughs> and um, I, I'm like the punch bag sometimes. Um, and yeah, and, um, and well, many other projects. So, yeah, I think that... Uh, it really I noticed how the, now, the list stopped. The list was like, yeah, I'm <laughs> some others. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Many others. Well, there is Ellen Markets, that is really cool. That is public, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure that is public. Uh, I don't even know why it wasn't allowed. We weren't allowed to mention it. So I'm going to go research afterwards. Um, <laughs> and if you were, uh, you know, if you were, if you were younger you getting into crypto today in 2021 for the first time what would your um approach be uh, uh be today because you know you you were approached to join um bitfinex and over time you became the the cto but um what would your approach be today in like an ecosystem that's a little bit more established a little bit more uh, um a lot more opportunities and you know a lot more uh vc money pouring into anything with a good pdf so, um, I mean, if you are a VC that, um, that is not coming from the crypto world, you mean? If you're a developer, if you're you, younger you. Oh, yeah. Okay. I would probably, I mean, you know that I'm, I'm quite an advocate on uh, keeping protocols agnostic from, uh, from uh, a token. So, I mean, I, I think that tokens are definitely fine. But I'd like to see protocols that are kind of independent from 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 the tokens. So I, I, what I believe that most of the the community now is focusing is um, is DeFi projects that are you know definitely interesting. Some of them are definitely interesting. Some of them pose too much risk for for the ecosystem uh, because of security reasons in general. So um, there is a lot of poor coding uh, around. So, but what I would like to focus on more, if I have more time, even in Bitfinex and Tether, and we are actually starting to collaborate with a couple of external groups on on this topic, is to focus on um, you know retail focused services, true peer to peer privacy oriented retail focused services that are you know that use crypto as a payment mechanism rather than having you know. It's like, you know, we, today we are on, on Zoom, but, you know, like proper peer-to-peer -peer, um, clones and privacy-oriented of actual uh, of actual softwares that we use in the day-to-day -day life. I believe that in general, so from what, what I'm seeing, is that also due to the pandemic and so on, I really feel like privacy is going to become a more and more... Um, um, forgotten and precious... Uh, asset in the future. So if I had more time, if I was younger myself, if or in the future, if I will have more time, I will definitely focus on that. Uh, more a way to 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 give to people back internet to you know to to allow them to to keep their uh, information uh, with themselves, um, to share the information only with the what they want, to access services in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion. With simple protocols, you you can still pay with Bitcoin, whatever crypto asset you want, right? So it's not like I just don't like 
things like this, like services like this, completely bound, bound to a single currency, to a single crypto. Sometimes people tell me, yes, but you have to build a community. But I believe that some, that is true. But in some sort of way, tokens are, in my opinion, a, a friction to, to reach um, mass adoption. Is they are great to spawn a, a good size community that can go from you know one thousand to fifty thousand users or even one hundred thousand. But then things become too compartmentalized, or there are too many different communities. There are too many religions, if you want. And uh, I, I believe that tokens can represent a, a really um, a break to mass adoption rather than to, uh, to, to be uh, a fuel for, uh, to be fuel for mass adoption. So I would like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually focusing my spare time and advising a few projects that are re researching on pure peer-to-peer -peer, um, protocols that are token agnostic, that just focus on building, you know, a more private version of the internet that, that is safe to use. Do you think these uh, these values that I think were a, a lot more present in um, you know pre twenty thirteen um, adopters? Do you think they're rarer now? And I mean this focus on like self sovereignty, um, uh, ownership, and privacy of your own data, and um, the ability to interact without a middleman. Do you think they've been lost in the crypto ecosystem today, where people are building things like BitClout, where you put a token on anyone? Um, I, well, I think that, of course, money is a, is a good driver uh, for, for everything. So, of course, I, I believe that um, put it in a simple way, until regula regulations will step in in a really hard way, I believe that this is still the time in which uh, who builds a project tries to use a gray area and make a really ton of money out of it. I believe that this moment will not last forever. Uh, so, you know, there is always this spike, I believe, in history where uh, new technology, everyone jumps in trying to do the craziest things possible, then regulations step in, and then there will be an, an underground part that will focus on uh, uh, values like privacy and, and so on. And then um, more, more like... Uh, uh, mainstream uh, part that will be fully regulated and, and so on. And if you think about it, it, it kind of uh, is, is really interesting what happened to Signal, right? So it was pretty famous uh, before 2021, but after we, um, WhatsApp announced their, their change in policies uh, and uh, they uh, signal grew like 10 times and even more. So I believe that uh, there will be time in which uh, masses will understand the value of privacy and they will look for products that are extremely privacy-oriented. It seems so, like it always you know, goes that route, yeah. though, right? Like, nobody cares, nobody cares, nobody cares. And then there's a huge privacy breach, everybody cares, and then, like, the attention fades over time. Like, how come you think privacy initiatives don't really seem to stick for very long? Because privacy has been always um, a synonym of uh, of a bad user experience in some way. Um, I think that is one. I mean, if you had the same thing of uh, of WhatsApp, but uh, um, you know that, but completely private, you probably would use that, right? So, Signal is a great tool, but uh, it wasn't as good as as it is today, one year ago. 
or one year and a half ago. Yeah. So um, I believe that it takes time to and um, resources to build uh, extremely smooth user experiences, scalable, you know, uh, things that will break with uh, when more users will 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 start using them. So I believe, but I, I believe that, uh, and also there is a lot of, I mean. There is a lot of um, research going on in, in protocols that have to support these tools. So I, I believe that now we have enough attention and enough people that have basic crypto cryptography knowledge that we can achieve those results faster. So I don't believe that in the future, um, Google, um, uh, Azure, and uh, AWS will host the majority of the web. I believe that in the future, we will see a decline of their, their market share. At least I, I, that is the thing that uh, excites me uh, to think about and uh, how to make we, we could help to make that happen. And the good thing is that mo- a lot of companies in our sector are making good profits. So uh, before, you know, if you had to create a competitor of Google, I mean, how much capital you needed, is it was almost impossible. But there is so much capital flowing to crypto that nowadays is, is, is something that is not so, uh, is quite achievable, I believe. I'd like to ask you about um, decentralized finance, and I spell it out because not necessarily just in the sense of where we see DeFi today and, you know, lending protocols and all the new fancy stuff. But like Tether was really the one of the first steps in crypto at all in terms of practical DeFi because someone could stay on chain and be on chain. You don't have to go to USD on some exchange. Like you just have USDT and you have the power to f- be flexible with a, a stable coin. So like, what do you think is important in terms of uh, DeFi priorities and um, what we should be, what people should be focused on and, and maybe the role that stable coins play in that? While Kobe's video went out, I think he's still here, though. (laughs) He's back. I don't even know what happened. I saw the the box went dark. (laughs) So I I just believe that um, the so stable coins are are definitely one of the most interesting innovations in the sector, and they are. If you think about it, they are really not. I mean, they are pretty simple, right? So. the, the thing is that no one was thinking about them in 2014. And believe it or not, it took a long time for, for Tether to explain, even to other exchanges, why it was important to have a stable coin. <laughs> so, of course, yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, you, you, it was hard to explain how crypto arbitrage would have been much, more, much smoother to all the other exchanges in 2014, 15, and 16. Then I believe Poloniex was the first one that really supported Tether uh, in full. R.I.P. And that was, yeah. Uh, Well, semi-R.I.P. I I mean, I guess they still exist, but R.I.P. Polo. We can just go ahead and say And uh, 2017 was the, the really the moment when when Tether um, grew grew a lot. At the end, it interacted it, it to one billion. So yeah, I believe that uh, staying on chain is extremely important. But also, and I'm not sure if I'm going to diverge from from your point here. Uh, I, I believe that one of the interesting things of uh, DeFi has always been in the in people's mind um, two things. So non-custodial and, um, and no KYC. So I believe that uh, 
it will soon change in non in being just uh, in just being non custodial, right? So. Uh, when we chat with uh, with um, regulators, when we discuss with other, uh, when, uh, when our CCO discuss with uh, their his counterparties, and um, when we we look at the different regulations, it's clear that uh, eventually there is an interest from regulators that are quite slow to catch up to also start um, uh, regulating. Um, in, automated market makers or, or, or things like that, right? So the concept is if you provide liquidity to someone that is laundering money or possibly doing some terrorist activity, I mean, you, you, you cannot hide behind your finger and saying, you know, I'm using a smart contract. That, that's the point of, of what regulators are making. Um, I'm not sure when it will happen, if eventually it will happen. Uh, I'm being told that, uh, that, uh, in the next years, there will be an increase uh, aggressivity on that on that side. So um, eventually, the, I believe that the DeFi projects will still have the big value of um, of being um, of allowing non custodial transactions. So that's pretty cool, right? So you don't have to trust necessarily um, uh, an exchange um, or, or you know a private party. Um, so that is still a big value proposition, and I believe that. It would be pretty interesting to start seeing DeFi projects to work with uh, decentralized ID projects so that you can, and uh, to with KYC providers, so you can unify the three parts and you can def- uh, start creating the first um, KYC-oriented uh, liquidity pools. And I'm, I'm not saying this in the light way. So as I mentioned, I'm extremely uh, pro-privacy. But again, I have my tet- uh, my Tether and Bitfinex hat on, and uh, you know that that is what is happening. So um, I believe that is that will be an interesting shift that we 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 will probably see happening. Do you think it's going to happen over the next year or so? Because I think a lot of people are like it's been spoken about for so long um, that I think people have sort of ended up in denial that this is ever going to happen, and every year it's like the regulations on KYC are coming soon and uh, like then nothing again. Like 2017 is like the regulators are going to be here any moment. I think they've been regulating parts, especially the centralized entities in the, in the space are uh, much uh, feel a a lot more heavily regulated now. I don't know if that's the reality. Um, do, but do you think um, it happens this year? And, and and how do you think the regulatory arbitrage between uh, different jurisdictions um, having different levels of enforceability or um, non-enforceability will uh, will play out. So that's a really good question. I believe that uh, this year or next year is probably even too soon. But uh, I would say three years time is is definitely a time frame that makes sense, right? So if you think about it, first of all, in two thousand eighteen, from two thousand eighteen or two thousand seventeen to two thousand end of 2020, we kept saying institutionals are coming, but, you know, they weren't, and then <laughs> suddenly they came. So, I mean, you can think about the same, think the same thing about regulations. So, eventually, they will step in. I was talking to, uh, I cannot name back, but one of the uh, four biggest banks, the, the head of the, the trading desk, the crypto trading desk of one of the four biggest banks in, in the world, right? And it was saying, yeah, we are really excited about DeFi, but you know there is no way we can even touch that uh, with even a long stick because you know we 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 get uh, billion dollars uh, fines if we uh, do any uh, if we risk any law, uh, money laundering activity. Uh, 
So that is one of the things that will push for, for more regulation because this guy will definitely want to jump in, but that is quite um, um, a deal breaker for them. And um, I believe that in general, we have seen, you know, there were many exchanges that were really, really in gray areas. So with the full no KYC or doing some dodgy stuff. And, uh, you know, from, from, I can tell you from one exchange that, uh, you know, um, uh, we started taking steps in order to uh, get away from, from uh, different jurisdictions and, you know, over the past years. We were probably the first exchange that decided to step away from the US, right? And um, we did that at cost of business. So we decided that we prefer to, we prefer to ensure that we could um, meet uh, or we, we could uh, not trigger any uh, regulatory issue and lose business rather than risk. I believe that that is a big kudos to our legal team that uh, you know decided that uh, have uh, that saw this happening, and uh, you know many exchanges didn't do that, and then um, you know eventually regulators are catching up. So I believe that is just a matter of time, and it will happen. I liked the, uh, the the tale about the big one of the four biggest banks, and they can't get into DeFi because what you're really saying is regulation is bullish. <laughs> <laughs> it's bullish KYC regulation. <laughs> well, they have a lot of money. Billions so, on the uh, sideline just waiting for some KYC. Well, it, it, when when the regulation started stepping a little bit more, uh, you can see really uh more um more volume exchanges and you know, we uh, the, the reason why Tether grew so much because you know OTC the, the OTC desks that are Tether customers are really buying Tethers from um, uh, from Tether uh, on behalf of hedge funds from on behalf of institutions that just want to you know uh, split. The, the their their checks into you know ten times send a portion of tether to each uh, trading venue and start buying on Bitcoin on each trading venue right so if if you are like an institution like let's say that you want to invest five hundred million dollars you don't go one single USD based exchange and press a button and buy uh, and market buy for that strands right the, the smart thing to do is okay there are ten locations that uh, that use tether that support tether. Tether pairs are the most liquid. Okay, so let's get uh, let's send USD to Tether. Let's get Tethers back. Let's split the, those Tethers in ten in ten different uh, chunks, and uh, you know uh, do um, smart buying on pressure on on, diff- on ten different exchanges. So that's and and that was only possible because you know there is there is a perception at least from 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 uh, institutions that there is more legitimization of of the crypto space and that and and that. I believe that in 2000, end of 2019, many exchanges started to, to, to increase their capacity of doing KYC. They started to raise the bar of, uh, of KYC. They started to, uh, to, uh, to lower down the amount of Bitcoin that you can withdraw without KYC and so on. And again, I'm saying this from a big privacy fund, uh, but you know, and this, this is going to happen. Yeah, um, I've got it. I like the idea that uh, the the regulators um, they they were so slow because every cycle they just thought that was it. It was the top. They were like, "Oh, it's a fad. <laughs> it's over. We won't bother with those regulations because no one's going to use it anyway. It's a waste of time." And the next cycle, they're like, "There's a one guy like, shit. I didn't do any other work because I thought it was. Am I going to get fired?" <laughs> 
<laughs> that's my uh, that's my thesis on why the regulators have been so slow. So I've got a uh, chart of stablecoin distribution over the last few years, and you know Tether has grown a ton in cumulative, but almost all of that growth has been like Tether that's on ETH for DeFi. It seems at least in net. Um, I have two questions. One, how hard is it to scale uh, something like Tether with a stablecoin? Because, you know, there's uh, dollars and real assets that back these things that y'all have for this accounting that you do. Um, and then the second question is, what changes based on the venue where Tethers are distributed? I guess you just don't care once, they, once they're created, right? Well, yes and no, right? So it's not that we don't care. As part of our running stablecoin, you have you have the duty to monitor how the stablecoin gets used, right? So Tether is, um, uh, well, I would say little, a few people know it because, I mean, at least not the Tether truthers, but the Tether is registered with FinCEN. And FinCEN is like the, you know, the, uh, the, the global financial authority, uh, well, one of the global financial regulators, right? So um, we have to report if we see any suspicious activity, we have, we are using chainalysis, we have to monitor transactions and so on. So uh, that is something that that we, are, we have to do. One of the, actually, so Tether is pretty big on DeFi, definitely and on Ethereum, but also you can see that the one, the, um, there are a lot of really lot of tethers more than I think that was uh, Larry from the block that uh, that said that uh, there are more than 10 billion tethers held in a um, couple of uh, Asian basic exchanges just to give you an idea so and probably now is, is a little bit more uh, maybe it's between 10 and 15 so the rest is on all the other exchanges and then DeFi and so on so I believe that is pretty even distribution also um, the, the the good thing about uh, Tether is that you know the, there is all, all the perps, all the new perps are all um, um, USDT settled. So you know the collateral is USDT and so on. So it's uh, it's also part- contributing to our monetary base growth. How did you uh, how did you feel when you got the Tether Truth of FUD from? Um, like, you know, a bunch of community members, but then also every now and again, a, a big company would participate in it a little bit, maybe slyly. And then they all made their own stable coins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> because I believe that, uh, you know, when we make a stable, one of the biggest challenges of making a stable coin is actually getting it traded on, um, on different, on other exchanges. So especially if you are an exchange or you, I mean, yeah, there are already too many stable coins, but if you are an exchange and many exchanges made a stable coin, it's really hard to, to get traction because um, it's unlikely that one exchange will trade the stable coin of another exchange or create, uh, you know, base pairs with, with that stable coin. So actually nowadays getting traction is on a stable coin is pretty, is pretty hard. So I believe that the, the three, four that are winning right now that are raising are the ones that are here to stay. Um, what do you think so, yeah. about um, the dynamic stable coins that aren't like a pure dollar to dollar, they're algorithmic or blended or collateral based, but not by dollars? 
So there are different types of stable coins, right? So you, you, you mentioned, like, I would say DAI has, uh, you know, multi-asset, multi-crypto asset uh, um, backing. So definitely one of the most interesting ones, uh, probably the first one that uh, seriously uh, made it. Um, and uh, I believe that is a really interesting concept. One of the risks, though, of, uh, of, uh, thing, of uh, algorithm stable coins that have crypto um, that are uh, backed by cryptos is that those cryptos, in my opinion, should not be centralized stable coins. Otherwise, there is the risk of just become a proxy, uh, and that is uh, you know that is completely useless then because you lose the the, the peg with the dollar because we have seen um, stable coins, uh, algorithmic stable coins start uh, floating a lot, but then you have uh, and uh, so and you are just a proxy for for the underlying so. I don't. I believe that um, they are great solutions. I I probably would like to see one that is 100% focused on Bitcoin and Ethereum only, probably um, um, as as collateral. And also, you can just require a bit more uh, collateralization, right? So um, instead of maybe asking for 130 or 150, you can ask for 200% if you want, or giving 150% to Bitcoin and 200 to to Ethereum as a, as a um, uh, collateral ratio. So I believe that is uh, is how it should be. Um, and um, then the other, there are different other algorithmic stable coins. One that is quite interesting as, uh, is um, um, Ampliforth. So they did this thing with uh, the adjustment of the, the monetary Basing, base that yeah. is trying. Yeah. And um, that is a really cool idea. It has some uh, issues on the UX side because um, exchanges have, imagine that you have uh, um you are an exchange, right? You have a database that represents the amount of, of uh, Ampliphore that you have in your wallet. Then what happens is that you, sh- you if there is a rebase, you have to actually run a procedure to rebase the, um, the balances that you have in the wallet. So that is one of the, um, one of the complications with the concept. We, we are in really good discussion with the Ampliphore thing. So I'm, I'm, we, we discussed a few times about this. And... Um, but uh, on the other side, I believe that is uh, is one one really interesting and new new solution that uh, that has some potential. Um, and uh, yeah, I believe that uh, those are the two main types of stablecoin that uh, that uh, that I find interesting. Has anyone noticed that I got shadow banned on Twitter and now Twitch keeps removing my camera feed? I'm getting censored by big tech. They're trying to take me down. <laughs> what is chat, going on? The chat says you're getting shadow banned on both. You know. Yeah, I'm the big tech's trying to take me down. They're trying to get rid of the balls. I think it's a, I think it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I, I genuinely have no idea what's going on. Maybe the camera's overheating. Um, <laughs> apparently now I'm muted. So you're not muted. Uh, you're good. Well, maybe chat's chat's trolling us then. Um, yeah. But but who knows? Um, that's super interesting. So uh, while I was uh, trying to fix my camera, I got a message from Nomad, and Nomad says. Uh, he has two there is no need to be upset tether shirts to give away on the stream um if uh if we want to if we want to make up the terms on how someone can win so there's some no need to be upset uh tether t-shirts um that are <laughs> available to anyone that yeah and i've got them i've got them pulled up he uh he messaged me too these are great shirts i've seen them in person my uh <laughs> Other podcast host I cheat on Kobe with Josh Olsewich has one of these, and uh, it is a great, great shirt. Nomads. And the winners just be me and you. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it should be. I need this shirt. This is ridiculous. We need these shirts, Kobe. So somebody Paolo, has to is it true it. that um is it true that bit for next is actually just you and it's an elaborate marketing technique in order to drive up hype around Tether and Bit for Next? Of course, you know, every every even bad publicity is good publicity. <laughs> <laughs> no one no one has the capacity to tweet so many times per day if not for uh, some financial incentive. So while, uh, there is no other explanation. While Kobe brainstorms uh how we're going to give these shirts away, uh somebody in the chat earlier asked when Tether mints a billion dollars, who presses the button to actually make it happen? So of course, for well, there is no one person to press the button. There are it's a multi-sig, right? Several so, keys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's is how you would do that, right? So it's uh, and most a lot of people ask why even numbers. That's a really good uh, point, right? So people say, well, why you 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 uh, authorize tokens in um, in chunks of you know 100, 200, 500 million, so on. So the reason is that um, given the sensitivity of uh, the the private keys that the signers have to handle, then uh, we decided that the the right thing to do for us was um, uh, authorizing um, in bulk based on what we estimate could be the the potential interest for the next uh, several days. And we estimate that based on the request that we have in the previous month or so. So um, we keep some authorized status on the shelf, so we don't have every time to ask the, the entire signing group to take um, to access the, the private keys. It's, it's simple as that, and some, some, somehow people think it's weird. Uh, chat is all chat spamming. Brrr. Yeah, I <laughs> got some burrs spam in the chat. Paolo, <laughs> could we actually get you doing the burr? <laughs> well, I have the art that is. I, I'm not sure how you say English, but I really have a burr. No, but we need so the I, we need the winding mechanism too. You know, like the, the general counsel just sends him straight to jail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we just need all right, one. So we've That's been, what the chat asks. We just need one burr. We've been streaming for just over an hour. Um, I'm actually kind of scared to do this, but I want to let the chat ask some questions. Uh, Led, you can you can heavily you can select them so that they're at least moderated yeah. through someone with uh, a brain. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd love the, to have the uh, security the chat token. People, Monkey Buy wants your uh, opinions and plans about doing a STO security token exchange and what y'all think the future of security tokens is. Uh, the the short arm, uh, the short answer is almost there. Um, the the, don't, the longest answer is that I believe that is one of the most interesting things that will happen in 2021. So we are working to to get it out by the end of this year, and we are pretty sure that we will get there. It's it's pretty new, exciting market. Um, so uh, you know, a lot of the, the interesting fact is that many. You know, many ICOs, many many tokens went through extremely complex, extreme complexity just to not look like a security. And now that they are, um, you know, secu- security tokens, you can actually do really interesting stuff, right? You can actually raise money, uh, raise um, uh, um, create bonds and things like that that are that are pretty cool. And you know, you don't you you have of course the entire activity has to be fully regulated. So you have to choose a jurisdiction that is uh, um that has um some that that allows you to you know to to 
to set up a framework with them so you can do all the reportings that that you need to do with the regulator right if you so uh, you know in in equities you might need to report then uh, if uh, who has more than 5% of a certain uh, of a, cer- a certain stock you have to report if uh, in advance if someone with uh, that has a big percentage or one that the shareholders decide to sell a good chunk of their stock and so on right so all these things have to be respected so there is a lot of uh, regulatory scrutiny and preparation that uh, that exchanges have to do but i believe that uh, there is a big rush in, in making that happen in 2021 and probably in 2022 straight lolan asked what are the risks to margin lending uh, so if you're actually lending assets out for a margin platform what are the l- risks for the lender so the lenders usually are the only, the one that are protected by uh, every issue that is likely well that is of course uh, being had, right? So if there is a liquidation, you never, never, never touch the lenders. So you are an exchange, you will eat the loss. If you if your system was not able to cope with, you know, the, or there was not enough liquidity, whatever, right? You as an exchange will eat the loss. You never touch the lenders. The lenders can only be affected on exchanges if there is an hack, of course, because the, the, the funds are gone. What um, Bitfinex was one of the first to integrate uh, Lightning. Uh, the question is, what can we expect from Bitfinex with respect to Lightning? But I'd love to hear a little bit also about how you see Lightning evolving. At the moment, sometimes it can be uh, kind of a, uh, it feels like an old school crypto experience. Uh, feels like sort of hard to use, or especially when the nodes are, are kind of old or something, or the channel's kind of old. Um, yeah, how do you see it evolving over the next couple of years? Yeah, so I believe that um, just in 2020 and beginning 2021, there was a big leap in in, uh, in Lightning Network. So actually, um, I believe that many wallets um, came out. Um, I think that there is a, a, a breeze, a blue wallet. Blue wallet is uh, is is pretty cool. It's well done. The the user experience is is extremely smooth. So it's one that I would recommend in this moment. Um, uh, I think that uh, Lightning Network just just makes sense from an exchange point of view, especially when fees are so high. And you know, with the growth of uh, Bitcoin, hopefully, we would expect fees to be probably a bit higher in the future. And uh, Lightning Network is, is is just the right solution. We we processed uh, I believe twelve thousand transactions in of uh, Lightning Network just in February, and March is uh, is probably higher than that, quite higher than that. So our node is is running at uh, really well. Um, users are sending Bitcoin really fast, and especially when we we will we will be able to support um, uh, cross um, cross margin for our perps. You can you know you can shoot zero point one Bitcoin through our zero point zero one Bitcoin through a Lightning channel, get it credit in one second, and then open a position, right? So you. But aside that, it's also cool because the work that we have been doing with Bitterfield and that is public, then we 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 are actually so you know Bitterfield you can buy gift cards with uh, uh, with cryptos. So we created an interface in Bitfinex so that our user could uh, use their Bitcoin balance to buy the gift. Uh, gift cards and we settle the transaction like in network and, and it's, it's running more, as smooth since one year or so 
And you know, the more upgrades of the uh, we use LND, the more upgrades to the node, the better it gets. So I'm pretty pretty satisfied with, with our offering. Do you think there will be a large segment of crypto users that are layer two only on both Bitcoin and Ethereum in the future? I think that if we go really mainstream, there is no way that well, so Bitcoin and Ethereum are not made to scale. There, there is no, I mean, I when I talk to um, you know blockchain developers, they say, yeah, my, my blockchain you know makes fifty thousand transactions per second. Okay, but fine, Bitfinex alone, if you try to bring all the Bitfinex volume on on a on a blockchain, you are already you know sometimes we have one hundred or two hundred thousand events per second. So you know you can even scale ten times, and it will just get uh, it will just allow two Bitfinex to to run. So the point is that you have to work on layer two solutions and um, and possibly make them in a similar fashion of of uh, like network. But also there are plenty of uh, layer two solutions in Ethereum, right? The idea is that you have to possibly settle as uh, less often possible on main chain, and uh, the 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 the, the more people will join uh, or will start using crypto as their um, layer to do financial transactions, the more um, the, the less frequent settlement should be. And uh, I believe that will be you know, more, uh, yeah, more layers, more, more, more uh, way, better ways probably to compress metadata in order to keep the transaction being verifiable on the layer one if you want. But uh, in the end, if that will be also a bottleneck, the idea is that you should also remove all the metadata from, uh, there are already some projects that are doing that. You can you should also remove the entire metadata of all the transactions and just push the end of the, the macro route in the main chain periodically. And you can have, as to say, a side chain or like what they call you, like a channel that then people can, the participant to the channel can verify. So there are plenty of ways you can you can really scale um, to different layers, and uh, that that has to happen on Ethereum or on any other blockchain that really wants to see massive option. So, Kobe, we uh, have some ideas for the uh, competition for the T-shirts. My proposal is: what if people draw a uh, uh, Paulo Gober meme? Um, <laughs> while you think about that, you finalize that. Uh, one of the other questions in the chat was y'all's thoughts on. AMMs and uh, DEXs. I mean, y'all are pretty early to the DEX game, and it's especially kind of trying to create a potentially hybrid experience for your customers when you created uh, Ethfinex, and then now it's called Diversify. So, like, how do you imagine that bridge will work in the future? Do you think you're you're you want your customers to basically be able to be hybrid between DEX and and centralized exchange, or how do you envision those working together? So DEXs are, um, I believe that uh, Equinox and Diversify was really um, is a really good showcase of how you can what you can achieve, right? So, as said, uh, you cannot really think you cannot expect to scale um, Ethereum so so quickly to handle a non an on chain order book. Apart from if even if you don't think to things like um, um, front running. And so on. Just uh, running an order book on chain is, is uh, I, I believe, uh, a failed experiment. Um, and uh, 
it, it, it can just work for the moment just because uh, there is no much attraction and option. That, that's at least my belief. Right? So I believe that the right way to do and the way to bring uh, you know, 1 billion people to use a, a, a technology is to keep using the good old technology that we developed till you know, three years ago that is um, specialized platforms and solution rather than put everything and, and, and your sisters into a smart contract. So, so that, that's, that's the way it should work. So I, and even for a DEX, I believe that you can, you cannot ever from a DEX perspective compete with the speed of a single purpose application that is a matching engine. So of course uh, it can work if you are, you know, if you have your side chain that settles on the main chain, you can build your sidechain that is in a closed environment where nodes are, you know, within 100 kilometers from each other so that, you know, the speed of light is good enough so that you can simulate, um, um, you know, a, a sort of closed blockchain and you can simulate an on-chain order book so that, you know, you, you can tell you that, but if you want to really uh, provide an, an awesome service, you can provide low latency, you can you have to use a you know a single process with multiple thread with the customer infrastructure that do that as a main, their main job that has a latency of a microsecond or 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 such right so that's that's how you should design things um, and it's the only way to scale so I, I was talking to to few uh, blockchain developers and they would say yeah but you know if our main chain will get clogged we will spin up a side chain you know with uh, we will rent it at the center we will put 10 nodes there and we will have our side chain that it will be you know super that will still be a blockchain but um, you know will run really faster than the main chain and we will put all the load there and said well but what if you if you rent one single data center is like running everything on the same machine for 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 in my opinion so i believe that uh, you know if, if you can, you have really to use the technology that we built, you know, in the last 30 years and use blockchains for the reason why they were built, that is moving money or creating bounds between people, between programs, between, between bots and so on. Trying to put the entire logic and everything on chain is the wrong approach uh, from a pure, you know, scalability engineer point of view. Okay. I'm really passionate about this thing. Yeah, yeah, you went for it. <laughs> I... that, uh, that makes sense. I could tell you were passionate about it. Um, I think for the competition ledge, I think your idea is good. They can either draw the Burr meme, Paolo Burr, or Paolo's sisters in a smart contract, which was the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the analogy that was just used. Um, I don't know why my camera keeps uh, keeps keeps rugging me. Um, apparently, I'm signaling something in Morse code, so I'd love to know what that is uh, a bit later on. You're a Russian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I need a stand-in um, for you with the with the glasses. We have that picture somewhere, but you know, I didn't get noticed that your your camera was going to go out constantly today. Yeah, maybe I should figure out some backup uh, in case it goes off. It's just me, like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're very still. Um. Yeah, so while people are drawing, um, we we can probably have a couple of uh, other other questions. I uh, saw one that said you mentioned you um, were interested in some privacy projects that are non-token, non-like degen orientated, simply just trying to build um, 
build something interesting that will better the world in, in terms of uh, uh, privacy or self-sovereignty. Can people look into any of these? Can people research them? Are they private? Um, are you allowed to name drop? So, uh, well, an example that we um, that uh, I participated to and uh, that Bitfinex um, uh, built in collaboration with other groups is called Bazaar. That calls that um, is Data Bazaar. So, one of my preferred books, and I suggest to everyone, and uh, is um, the Cathedral and Bazaar of um, written by Eric S. Raymond. Is basically explains how um, cathedrals are beautiful. Um, they are really complex. Um, it took some some cathedrals took you know hundreds of years to be built, and some are not even finished. Right. So um, while bazaar, if you look at them, uh, they are quite messy. They at the first sight they they really look messy. They really really look confusing. But actually, it's because there is a lot of redundancy. There are a lot of people that are maybe selling the same thing or different things. They are you see people running around all the time. This, the perfect analogy of for peer-to-peer. And uh, with the cathedral, if you remove a single piece of the cathedral, it's likely to fall down, right? If you, if, if you remove a pillar, it's likely to, to fall down entirely. But with the bazaar, you, you, some, some of the sellers will, will not come to work and one day and there will be plenty of others, so there will be plenty of activity, everything will continue to work. So well, the book was about also, you know, microkernels and so on, but that's the analogy that is perfect for this also modern crypto world and the, the current application. So the way I see it, it that is that um, um, this project, so the way we build the czar is a way to, you know, sell data. So everything is data in our world. So, you know, a way to sell data with whatever currency, cryptocurrency you want. Um, we we showcase it with uh, with a couple of examples. One is Bitfinex Terminal, so we 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 are putting our all our trading history there. Uh, Dazar is based on a hypercore that is a you know a streaming Merkle log um, that is a you know pretty robust and and cool data structure that you can use to uh, is one really fast and two is always very verifiable and you is you can access it in a sparse way. So it, it, and on top of that, we, as a more complex use case, we built Dazar Vision that is a, you know, um, a peer-to-peer uh, video application in which it's perfect for cam girls. You basically, you can see the other person and you can pay in Lightning Network directly. It works perfectly. You should, we, we should have tried that. <laughs> uh, Toby will do experiment any... later. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a cam girl later on. Um, <laughs> Uh, all right, you got it on the screen. Cool. And then the the final question um, from chat. I was going to ask that one myself, so I won't. Um, I won't ask it. Uh, da, da, da. I lost it. Da, da. It makes for good radio. Yeah. Um, how do you see the future of privacy coins like Monero, Zcash, and Grin? So. Um... I think that Monero is a really well-engineered um, um, blockchain. So uh, I believe that they will keep having their use case. Um, I think that uh, uh, you know they we we might see uh, changes, uh, more exchanges dropping support maybe at some point. I'm I'm not saying that it will happen. I uh, would hope not um, because it would be a really bad signal. I believe that they should stay on exchanges. Um, but um, I believe that uh, is an important offering 
um, for for users. And uh, I don't really don't, some some people say you know why why you should be private why what do you have to hide but again privacy is one of the fundamental rights of every person. So uh, if I want to bring it to every single transaction that I do, I should be free to do so. Um, and also, you know, in some way, I mean, Lightning Network is not uh, as private. There, you know, um, is uh, most people use hubs, so their their transactions are not as that private. But um, also, I mean, there are, there are, I believe that all the privacy-oriented communication tools should be uh, should be supported in general. And will you be speaking at DuskCon? I don't know if that's a real thing. I just read it from the chat. So if it's not a real thing, then I got trolled again. Well, I, I mean, maybe some, they are, I don't know. <laughs> the short <laughs> answer is that I really, maybe I will. All right. Maybe, uh, maybe. The answer is maybe to this fake conference that you just made up. Um, all right. So I only have one more question. We've been streaming for almost an hour and a half. Uh, we ask this of uh, every guest. Ledger, are you just going to figure out who wins the competition afterwards and we'll send them it on Twitter? I don't think anybody did because nobody mentioned up only in the in the submissions. All right. So, so we get the that means we get the T-shirts. If no one sends it in, we get the T-shirts. <laughs> I'll, draw, um, I'll draw the Burr meme and see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Paolo, we need some free alpha for the chat. The chat is not going to make it currently. They need something from you that helps them become a better version of themselves. Something that they can like take away and uh, and like either do to become a happier or more profitable person. Something they can go learn. Some wisdom that has been passed down by many generations and ended up with you ready to transfer to these viewers on this Twitch stream. What is the free alpha for the chat? All right. So um, my grandfather was always telling me um, that if you are, if you have, if you're working in a company, if you are part of a company, you should never look up how much the others are working because the moment Everyone starts worrying on how much the others are working. Uh, the the company is doomed to fail. So you should just keep your head down, work as work, work as hard as you can, and you will build great things. My grandfather was um was a, a farmer, and uh, he he was producing the best um, fruit in all Italy. I can say <laughs> the best fruit in all Italy is a, a pretty bold claim. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. So does that mean if you're a developer at Bitfinex, you can just do nothing and you'll never notice? Because you're, <laughs> you're like, I'm just keeping my head down. <laughs> like that guy no, no, no. We had months. <laughs> we had super serious control. But it's more like, it, yeah. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that, Lich? One of the folks in the chat said your grandfather was a yield farmer. Kobe, <laughs> your silhouette just We invented we yield farming. You invented yield farming <laughs> in uh in Italy. Um All right. I'm back. I made it you're back. B- you're back. All right. Um we've done an hour and a half. Paolo, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for the free alpha. Keep your head down. Don't bother everyone if they're working. And if you work as a developer at Bitfinex, you cannot do anything and you won't notice. <laughs> <laughs> and if you you haven't drawn the Burr meme or um, I can't remember who it was, someone in a smart contract, send it to TV. You might win a, a tether. There is no need to be upset. T-shirt. Um, Ledger, any parting thoughts? 
Uh, I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful you took over uh, PR efforts for uh, Bitfinex. You're doing a great job as a representative <laughs> of the organization. And uh, I'm also thankful for Blockfolio being our partner for this and all episodes of Up Only. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. You can track your portfolio, your investments in uh, Bitcoin and Leo and Tethers uh, and other. You might even get a Tether when you trade on Blockfolio in uh, in response to a trade. They've got all the features you've loved since 2014 for portfolio tracking as well. It's been a pleasure having everybody with us today. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kobe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye.